Last week, we were in Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 14. Rob reminded us that this world has been turned upside down, and therefore, when we, when we look at God's wisdom, it's going to be counterintuitive because the world's upside down. God's, going to, God's wisdom's going to look upside down until we turn the map upside down and go, oh, that's what God's meaning. He reminded us, and I noticed earlier that the picture over here is still upside down. You know, the, the idea being, as Rob said, no employer probably on a Friday is going to say to the employees, all right, I want everybody to visit a cemetery this weekend. And, uh, and I'd love, uh, I want you to grieve a loss, and I want you to give something that, I want you to give something away. It's going to make us a better company. It's going to help our bottom line. Not, you know, that, that would be the, the world's way, and yet that's the very things that, that biblical wisdom invites us to, what Solomon invited us to, as Rob said last week. He's going to continue this, uh, this theme of um, <clears throat> wisdom and foolishness. So let's keep that in mind as we go through this passage. Uh, he's going to, in fact, tackle one of the most troubling questions of humanity. People have been asking this question, quite frankly, since Adam and Eve left the garden. Uh, physicists, philosophers, psychologists have been trying to, to, to crack this open to find an adequate answer. They have not offered one that satisfies. I will tell you that Solomon is going to answer the question. We probably will not like it. But I will say this, if we can hear it, and I want to remind you, a Hebrew, the Hebrew word and thought for hear is not just hear, it's hear and what? Do, act. So so if we hear it and receive it, I really do believe this, and I'll touch on this at the end, uh, it'll actually set you free. It will, indeed, I think it will unleash your life in Christ, it will give you genuine hope. So with that, if your Bible's not open, open them please to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're in verses 15 to 29. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 15 to 29. I'm just going to pick up that first verse again to keep it in our mind. Lindsay just read it, but read it with me again. Follow along in your Bible. Solomon says, I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. What? Wait. No, 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 you're righteous and you live long. You're wicked and you die young. Oh my goodness, Solomon looks at the reality of life and says, there's somebody that's righteous, that's doing right. They die. And that wicked person thrives. Some of you know... Or, or, or new Chandra Lassiter, Chandra, a member here, uh, diagnosed with cancer just in January. Um, she passed away on June 29th. Diagnosis in January, passed away June, or June 19th, I'm sorry. We're going to have a memorial. We'll have a small family memorial this week on Friday over here to celebrate her life. I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I didn't know her well, but I, I, I know this. Chandra loved the Lord. She was 49 years old and the mother of seven kids, college, post-college, all the way to twins in, el- in elementary school. Do you know that Hugh Hefner, he lived to be 91. You know, Larry Flint started Hustler magazine. He started a pornographic empire worth millions today. You know, he'll celebrate his 72nd birthday 
this fall. Now, just throw those two out. We could grab a bunch and just go, Chandra and these guys live. I think most of us know people, if not in our immediate circle, we could stand back and look beyond our immediate circle and know that there are people who've lost loved ones way too early to infancy or childhood. And then we know, we know people, you know people, that they're, they're, they're bad. Joseph Coney, you know, the LRA, they're bad, they're evil, and, and they live and live and live. Here's the question, why do good people die young and why do the wicked seem to live? Now, this is not a hard and fast rule because we know that's not always true, but I'll tell you this, Solomon looks at life and he looks at it long enough to say, it happens enough that this is a problem, this is, I can't, this is not, it's not the way it needs to be. I will say his answer is, um, is, is, is difficult. Uh, in this passage, uh, it has been said, quote, this is one New Testament scholar, he says, this is one of those passages that sets preachers to pacing in their studies, wringing their hands. What does it mean? Temptation will be great to either skip over it or preach just a few verses. I've been tempted. Uh, New Testament scholar, another one writes, it's hard to be satisfied with any commentary on this section. You're going to see this as we move through it. It's very difficult to understand. This is one of the more difficult and perhaps one of the more notorious passages in Ecclesiastes. Now, uh, I, truth be told, I was in here early this morning again and till the very last minute trying to figure out, Lord, what does it mean and how do, we, how do I teach it faithfully and, and you know, understand it and apply it to our lives? I'm grateful that we teach expositionally because, quite frankly, you know, we'd never pick this verse. We'd never pick these verses, you know. But you know what? We study Ecclesiastes, and we're going to hit every one of these, and so we must. Now, I don't know anything other than to do is dive in. I have no clear outline that I can give you. I will just say we're going to move through it verse, section by section. Just stay with me. We're going to do Bible study as we move through this. And then at the end, I, will, I, I hope to offer you his answer. Okay, and some time where we can wrestle with it. So with that, uh, jump in. Okay, Verses 16 and 17. Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? That's a toughie. Do not be excessively wicked. Got that. And do not be a fool. I get that. Why should you die before your time? Don't you read that and go, what in the world does he mean? You know, what, what is this? Some say, and, and, and commentators are not agreed, but some say it's the golden middle or the go, golden mean, i.e., okay, so good people die young, the righteous die, the wicked live. So, look, you need to be righteous, but don't go overboard because that's not going to help you, you know. And uh, don't be really wicked, but if you're a little wicked, you know, and then hope you live long. You know, it's like, it's like, is that the middle, the middle ground? And truly, it, it, I, I think we reject that, and we reject it on these grounds. We, we understand when we study our Bibles, we can't take one verse and, and, and build a theology out of that. We've got to take that verse and connect it to the verses around it and connect it to the whole Bible. And nowhere in our whole Bibles will you find our God, a holy God, would ever condone a little wickedness is okay. He would not do that. We know that, okay? So, so, so we, re, we, we reject that interpretation. There's a lot behind what I'm about to say, okay? Some don't agree with it, but I hope it, it, uh, this is where I fall out and what it means, and I'm gonna have to, you're going to have to stick with me to, <coughs> to, to, to get this. 
when he says, do not be, ex-, you know, we understand don't be excessively wicked. So that's not the problem. I get, you know, don't be excessively wicked. Don't be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It, you know, the bottom line is if you do wicked things, if you do things that, that aren't according to God's pleasure and plan, you, you stand a chance of dying early. That's just a fact. You know, we know that. Okay, so we, we understand that one. But this part, do not be excessively righteous. <laughs> don't be overly wise. We scratch our heads and we wonder what he means by that. Here's, here's what I want to suggest he means based on the context and the whole of Scripture. In this, what he's saying, he says, do not be excessively righteous. <clears throat> he is, he's talking about self-righteousness. Don't be excessively self-righteous. Uh, what's going to help us understand this is if you'll look in your Bibles again at verse 14. Because he he said something last week, or he said something right before this. Verse 14 says, In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider. Okay, prosperity, you you know, happy, and the day of adversity. Okay, consider this. God has made one as well as the other. So, So we know now, so I'm just going, look. The righteous person who dies... And the wicked person who lives, who's behind it? Say it out loud. Who's behind those? God is. See, it's not about them. It's about God's sovereign choice. When he says, you know, don't be excessively righteous, it's this self-righteousness. It is don't, don't do right, be right, try and live the perfect life. And be righteous with the motivation that now God owes you something. See, that, that, that's, don't, don't be self-righteous as if the way you live uh, binds God to do something for you. That's not the way God works. Said another way, our works of righteousness have no sway on God. You know, we use that phrase, God, you, you cannot, you cannot do anything that will make God love you less or love you more. Our works of righteousness, that's the problem. The Pharisees thought their works of righteousness bound God, right? So that's the point. Don't be excessively righteous. Don't, don't have these works righteousness, for it has no sway on God. Listen to uh, Ian Proven, uh, one of my favorite commentaries on, on this book. He says, those who pursue wisdom or righteousness for profit, it's motivation. Those who who, who seek to be righteous to get something, okay, for profit. Hoping to gain an edge over God and force his hand are in no different a position to those who pursue foolishness and wickedness. Both are guilty of hubris, pride. The arrogant self-deification in which mortal beings so regularly indulge as they seek to fashion reality after their own liking. Both are guilty of sin. He goes on to say this. He says that the dogged pursuit, see this is this excessive righteousness, the dogged pursuit of a self-righteousness, he says, in order to gain God's, in order to gain God's favor is just as wrong as giving in to wickedness because both are incompatible with, with the fear of God. Look at verse 13. 
He says it's, it's good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both. See, to, to, to try and be righteous in order for God to owe you something or to just dive into wickedness. <laughs> they're, both, they're both sin. They are both incompatible with the person, the man or woman who fears God. When we talk about the fear of God, I've given you a number of statements, and Rob will continue to give them too. And at the end of the book, I tell you, when all is said and done, it's going to say fear God. And we're going to talk more about the fear of God. But one of the things I said is the fear of God is a wholesome dread of displeasing him. So what he's saying here, the person who fears God will do this. The person who fears God will understand, I, 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 cannot, I cannot make God owe me something by my obedience and my doing all the right things and avoiding the bad. The person who fears God knows, and we get this one, I, I can't live an excessive wicked, I can't just jump into wickedness. That's the person who fears God. I have a wholesome dread of displeasing God. And when, when that person, this is kind of tough to grab here, but when that person has both of those, the sense he says, and you come out with both of them, that's, you come out recognizing both of those are off limits. That's what you come out with, with that wisdom. Now, Keep in mind, he's, he's, he's answering this nugget of a question, this Gordian knot, in a sense. You know, why do the good die young and, and the wicked seem to live? He, 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 he's going to go into wisdom. He's going to use his wisdom, and that's how he finishes this out. Look at this next section, 19 to 22. Follow along in your Bibles. He says, wisdom strengthens a man. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Start here. He just says wisdom's powerful. Wisdom's very powerful. He says it's more, you know, one wise man is more powerful than ten, not ten men, ten rulers. See, it's like, he's speaking in hyperbole. One wise man lives with this wisdom. It is stronger, more powerful than ten men who rule. Wisdom is powerful. And then he says, sin is universal. This verse in 20, it, 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 it has the echoes, does it not, of Paul in Romans 3 when he says and quotes Isaiah 53 and says, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of it. Sin is universal. And then he, he gives a little example. You, you don't think sin is universal? Well, uh, let me just offer this proverb to you. You know, I would be careful how, how, uh, how you listen in on conversations because you may hear a buddy of yours say something about you. Hmm. And it hurts. But I want you to remember, you've probably said something about your buddy that you didn't tell him. That's really good advice, y'all. It's really good advice. I, I will say, when I see that for myself, I, I do think of this. That, you know, and, and this is true of all, any of us could stand up here and say this. And I know this. People have said things about me personally that aren't true. People have said things about Fellowship Bible Church that aren't true. And I'm telling you, when they do, and when that happens for me, I just, I mean, I just start thinking about revenge. I start thinking of, I, I dream at night about how we'll get them back, put them on the spot, just crush them, you know, just crush. And, and what he's saying here is, truly, and I do, and, and, and what he says here is, and it's true, and I have to stop, because can I tell you this? 
I have said things about people that aren't true. I'm not talking about 30 years ago. <laughs> I'm talking about in life. I've done that and do that. I say things about people that aren't true. And I say things about organizations that aren't true. I do the same thing. And so what he's saying is, listen, if you'll be keenly aware that you're, you're sinful, if you'll, if, you'll have, if you'll bear that awareness in your own heart, I'm telling you something, when you hear somebody say something about you, rather than crushing them and responding, uh, you will step back and go, I too, God, am a sinner. Have mercy on me. With me? He keeps going deeper on this idea of wisdom, 23 to 26. I tested all of this. All of what? All, all that he's saying in this section. I tested all this with wisdom. And I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? Rhetorical question. I'm going to come back to it later. He says, I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an, and an explanation and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered, more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Here we go again. Not all scholars are agreed upon who, who what in the world is he talking about. Uh, is he talking about women, woman in general, a specific woman who's a seductress? You guys you need to guard yourselves against this woman. I, I think not. I, I think if we apply our own Bible study methods or, or you know, hermeneutics, accepted Bible study methods, we'd, we'd ask the question in one way. we go, what's the greater context? Well, there's a book really close to Ecclesiastes, guess what, that Solomon wrote. Same author. What book is it? Proverbs. When you read the book of Proverbs, what you'll note is that Solomon contrasts wisdom with folly. And what you'll also note is he personifies both. And he calls wisdom a woman. And he calls folly a woman. Chapter 1, verse 20. Don't turn there as I, as I read these. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice at the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. She utters her saying. She, she, wisdom's a woman. See, he personifies wisdom. Likewise, he personifies foolishness as a woman. The woman of folly. The, 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 the woman of, he would, he's literally a Hebrew, is a strange woman. Okay, Often described even as a seductress. He says, the woman, this is 713. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house. I'm telling you, just like the, 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 you know, the woman of wisdom, the woman of folly sits at her house and she calls out to those who are passing by and she invites them to come into her house. I'm telling you, they sound a lot alike. Discernment in what you're hearing and what you're listening to. In chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, listen to this, what he says of the woman of folly, Okay. Her house seeks down, sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor, they, nor do they reach the paths of life. And I've had this in my Bible for a long, long time. I wrote next to it years ago, Hotel California. Now, why did I write that? Because you can check in any time you want. But what? That's not funny. 
You check in, you can... Mm. That's folly. So with that, now go with me here. Does it seem exegetically sound that as Solomon writes this other book, we would go, well, he's talking about this woman, and this woman seems to have these claws that grab people and trap them and hold them, and they can't leave. Would we say, yeah, it's, uh, it's so-and-so. It's not a woman, it's the woman. What woman? Folly. Is it you with me? So it's foolishness that he describes here. Notice when he sets out to understand and unwind this enigma, conundrum, you know, God, bottom line is God does things I don't agree with. God does things I don't understand. The way God does things make no sense. When he tries to unpack and unwind that, the first thing he runs into is the woman folly. I'm going to come back to that in our application. He discovers a second thing. Notice verses 27 uh, to 29. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I'm still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I've not found a woman among all these. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Here's another notoriously difficult passage. Uh, this is where Solomon in particular gets accused of being a uh, misogynist and putting down women. And you can see why. It's kind of like, oh, wow, you know, at least there's one righteous man. There ain't no righteous women anywhere. You know, it's kind of that thing. And you got to be careful. We want to be careful here. If you have an NIV, they actually insert the word upright. Okay, so it says, I have found one upright man among a thousand, but I have not found an upright woman among all these. Now, again, let's, let's, let's be reasonable and let's be biblical and let's say, okay, is Solomon going to be pursuing this very difficult question? And is he pursuing wisdom? Is he now going to insert something to say, and by the way, women aren't, aren't upright? That makes no sense at all. It doesn't fit the context at all, does it? In no way does it fit the context. Uh, and, and also, when he says uh, it's, it's proverbial, proverbial literature, general statements of truth, um, speaks in hyperbole as he did before. When he says, you know, I, look, I looked at a thousand, do you think that he looked at one thousand literal people? I don't believe that would fit for the context. I think what he's saying is, I looked at a lot of people. Now, when I say that, a lot of men and women. It's, it's men and women, okay? Look at mankind. I found one. The, the idea here is not to say women are, there's no righteous women. The idea that he's saying is, out of a lot of people, I'm telling you, only a fraction live by this wisdom. Okay, that's what he's saying. A proverbial statement that in 29, uh, he wraps up the argument. And when he does, notice what he says. I found only this, that God made Men, mankind, people, okay? This is not one man. God made humanity upright, but they have sought out many devices. When he says that, I want you to, you know, I want you to take your thoughts on your Bible and go, wow, he, he just said something that sounds a lot like Genesis 1 to 3 because, it, because he's thinking of Genesis 1 to 3. That's why he said it. So he goes back to Genesis 1 to 3, and he's describing creation, God creates a man and a woman, and it says he creates them up 
right. He, they, they were created uh, in, in innocence. They, they had not sinned, you see. And so then it says, but they have sought out many devices. What an interesting way, if I can say this, to describe Adam and Eve reaching for the fruit. They've sought out many devices. We would say, well, no, they just, they just rebelled against God and did what he told them not to do. Well, let's unpack that just a little bit. Track with me. I'm going to hit a bit, of the, a bit of the Hebrew. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I'm studying Hebrew scholars. I'm going to offer this as they have, have, uh, have looked at this passage. Look at verse 25. He says, I directed my mind to know, investigate, to seek wisdom, and an explanation. It is a specific Hebrew word. It's, it's got a long S on the beginning, sheshbon, sheshbon, explanation. It, it literally means to give a, it's a systematic putting together. Here's this, I did this, this, put a systematic picture together and explain something. You, you clearly explain, you know, it lines up, this adds this, this and here's the sum. Okay, that's the shispan, shispan. He goes on verse 27. Notice he says, adding one thing to another to find an explanation. Shishban. Okay. You see there the, the idea of a sum, that, that this explanation has this idea, I'm going to take this and add it to this and add it to this, and it's all going to line up systematically, and it's going to explain. Now, when he goes to verse 29, interestingly, that word devices, okay, it's not the exact same word, but it has the same root, and it just has this tiny, uh, tiny phrase at the beginning that sets it apart. It's devices is the Hebrew word hasheshban, sheshban, sheshban, hasheshban. He's a writer. He, he, he's, he's doing a play on words, you see. And he's saying, look, I, I, I shishban, tried to add this up. And, and then I, shishban, I tried to add this up. And man, when I look back at the garden, ha shishban, they, they were, in a sense, doing the same thing I've been doing. Now, again, I'm going to unpack that. Let me help explain this a little bit more. It's a play on words. The NIV gets to the darker side of this. If you have an NIV, the word devices is translated schemes. But they, mankind, people, have sought out many schemes. I like the New Living Translation again. You know, it's a, it's a broader, more, you know, adjectival translation to kind of help us get the ideas. It says, but it translates it this way, verse 29. But I did find this. God created people to be virtuous... But they have each turned to follow their own downward path. Now, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. It was at their core, okay? Um, I'm going to choose a different explanation. At the core. You see, God said, placed them there in relationship with him, in relationship with each other. If you'll believe what I say, God says, if you'll believe what I say, you're, you're, you'll, have a, 
You'll have life and life abundant, as Jesus described. Okay, so that was God's explanation. This is how life works. You trust me, you live by faith. At the core, Adam and Eve said, I think I'm going to come up with another explanation for life. A scheme, a way. I think I can add it up differently than faith in God. I think I can do it better, you see. That's what they chose. Now, we think life, I know, I know kids think this way and the immature think this way. And I've been both and still am at times. I want life with no limits. I mean, honestly, if I, life, nobody tells me I do what I, I want a limitless life. That's life, you see. But what do we know about God and how he intended life from the garden? They, he gave them everything, you guys, except one thing. Don't eat from that tree. See, in principle, life, wholehearted life, is in relationship with God with limits. Now, doesn't that sit at you wrong? Don't you feel yourself going, no, I don't want the limits. But that's, that's how God inv invites us to live because he's God, limitless, and we're not. Adam and Eve said, I, I, I think I can find life without limits. And they went for it. And you know what? So do we. And so at the end of the day, I, I will say this, that when you look at this question of, you know, he looks at, you know, why do righteous men die young and, and wicked men live long? Clearly and theologically accurately, he places the responsibility of that where? On us. See, it's our, we, we, Adam and Eve made that choice, made that choice for us. We're born with a sin nature, and that's what we keep doing. Okay, how does this question, or the answer to this question that I posed at the beginning, how, um, how does it give us life? Well, This is the part that we don't like. Look at verse 14 again. I didn't read this verse, but I will this time. Look at verse 14, the last sentence. He does all, God has made one as well as the other, so that man will not discover. Not discover. Look at verse 23. Solomon says, I tested, tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me, what has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious, literally deep. Who can discover it? Now, that's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? What's the answer? No one, you see? And he goes on, notice in verse 27, I've discovered this, adding one thing to another, find an explanation, which I'm still seeking, but have not found. Now, he offers us insight, but clearly he's going, I've not cracked the nut on this one. My wisdom can't answer the question, 
and, and, and see the reasoning behind why good people die young and wicked people seem to live long lives. Now, Solomon's answer to the question is what? Anybody got it? Solomon's answer to the question is, you can't know. You can't know. Why, God? You can't know. But I want it. You can't know. The wisest man in the world sought the answer and he says, I couldn't get it. It was dark. It was deep. It was too far from me. You can't know. Now, see, that's that part. If you got that part of you rising up going, well, I better know or I can't trust God. Whoo. So you got to stop there and go, hmm. So I've got to know and understand everything before I can trust God. Huh. I want you to stop and think about this. When Solomon saw this and goes, I want to explore it with my mind. The first stop on the trip, he met a woman. Who was she? Who was the woman he met as he pursued this? Say it out loud. Who was it? It was folly. He met foolishness, y'all. So, so when we demand of God an answer or demand go, I, I got to have the answer to this, you know. In, at some, I'm not saying you don't seek answers and all that, but if ultimately we're going to hold God accountable for an answer before we trust him, that, then I'm telling you, I think Solomon's hinting to us to say, whoo, okay, and you will land in Hotel California and in foolishness, quite frankly. Does this make sense? I mean, it's hard. We have a choice when life throws us a curveball. See, it's not a curveball when things are going well, when you kind of feel like, you know, I'm living life and God's blessed me and everything. That's kind of like, that's sweet. But when God, when, when God okay, throws the curveball and it doesn't go the way you hope at all, uh, you, you, this one is struggling. We've got a choice. So here's our choice. We can... We can, we can just bend ourselves demandingly of God and go, i got to figure this out. And I think that will lead to foolishness, according to this text. Or we can step into wisdom and say, that knowledge is unpierceable. That knowledge is beyond the veil. It's beyond the veil. And, I, and because it's beyond the veil, I'm not going to demand it and, 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 and keep banging my head on it. I will stand and I will rest. Here's the key. And God, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. Don't understand it. I don't even want it. But I'll trust you because whether it's, whether it's prosperity or adversity, God is sovereign. Now, if, if there's a statement, I'd hope you'd remember it might be this. 
we can trust God's actions because we know God's character. This, this is fundamental. Uh, we, we can trust God's actions because, man, they're not going to make sense sometimes. Just like your parents made no sense to you when you were six. They're not going to make sense. We can trust God's actions only because we know God's character. Let me remind you, Isaiah 55, 8 says, God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. This is a New Living Translation. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Now, that's true. <laughs> and and we, we, in our fallenness, I mean, many of it, we don't like it when, we, when someone says to us, you can't know that. When someone says to us, there's a limit to your wisdom. We don't like that. But that's how God made us and wired us. There's a limit. I mean, if you knew it all, what would you be? I'm going to tell you something, and you're not. Ultimately, we can take this step to wisdom because of this. Because all of God's actions are good and right and true because of Jesus. You can't go anywhere else. You're struggling with God and where you're at in life right now, I'm telling you, and he's done something, he has allowed, done something in your life that's painful, it hurts. You, you, can, you can rail against it. It's okay. I mean, it's, you, God, you, know, you can fight whatever. But ultimately, you have to stand and look not at that circumstance, not at that action. You've got to look at this action, this action that Lindsay read earlier, that while you and I were in our sin, didn't care about God, God sent his only son to die on a cross for our sins. He was buried and raised three days later. So it's all got to come back to Jesus. Does God love me? I don't know, because just, I just lost my job. No, no, no. Does God love me? You can't look at it as, oh, I just lost my job. You go, does God love me? Yes, he loves me. He sent his only son to die for me. See, this is the ground of hope and life and joy to know that God lost his son at an early age. And by the way, his son had no sin of his own. And he did it for you and he did it for me. Let's stand together. Um, I want to say a benediction over you. We always say, so what? Because we know we're not here just to go, well, that's interesting. I now understand that passage. No, it needs to, God's word is here to change us. And so I'm going to ask you just to bow your head. And for, in this moment, whatever is in your life that you're kicking against, or you just, it's, I mean, we all have things in our life we don't like. Would you talk to God about that for a moment in light of this text, in light of what Solomon says about wisdom? And a lot of what Solomon says about, boy, when God throws the curveball and we try and figure it out and understand why, uh, we got to step back and say, God, you're God. I'll let the Spirit lead you, but pray for just a moment, then I'll read a benediction over you.
Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.